Dedication and Chapter One of the Smoke Eaters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lee Smalley. The Smoke Eaters by Harvey J. O'Higgins. To Lieutenant E. D. F. of the New York Fire Department. Here is a book about our old friends the captain and the crew of Hook and Ladder Company No. with incidents that are taken from the Manhattan Bank fire, from the burning of the bark cripple, from your own adventures with that kike the firebug, and from a dozen other fires and truck-house dramas which you will recognize and recollect. Do you know how much of this book owes its being to you, to you and your experiences, and your inexhaustible good nature? I know that whatever there is in it of truth to life, of accuracy in detail, of honesty in point of view, is due, Lieutenant, to yourself. When you shall come to sit, like Captain Meaghan, a gentleman of leisure, retired on the pension which you have already earned a hundred times over by the saving of others' lives and risking of your own, may this volume recall to you the years of your most dangerous campaigning. May it represent to you now the gratitude of that hard-driven newspaper tout who came to you so often to draw you out of a modest reticence with fool questions and may it carry to a larger audience than you had in him some appreciation of the burly life of those blue-shirted jigger-jumpers who live face to face with the very scorch of death, eat smoke and spit black buttons, and accept the call of a heroic duty as the merest bread-and-butter matter of their every day. H. J. O. H. CHAPTER One: THE RED INK SQUAD when the new chief took charge of the uniformed force of the fire department, he swept its veterans into retirement with a broom. The probationers crowded in to fill the vacancies, and in three months Captain Meaghan found himself, as he said, sourly, teaching kindergarten in the truck-house of Hook and Ladder Company No. 0. He ruled a shabby red-brick building of three stories that stood between the knees of two downtown wholesale houses in a warehouse district where packing-case fires gave the men the worst of punishment and the best of training. It followed that the captain's role had more probationers and new men on it than any other. And because the names of the probationers were entered in red ink, these raw recruits were nicknamed, in contempt, the Red Ink Squad. They were teased and bullied by the older men. They quarrelled among themselves, disturbing the club quiet of the truck-house leisure. And they were despised by their captain, who demanded of his new assistant, "'Where'll I be if I run into a big blaze with a gang like that?' He spoke as if he held Lieutenant Gallagher personally responsible for the condition of the crew. Gallagher tried to flatter him with an assurance that the chief sent the green men to him as a good master. "'There's Broderick has the same sort of district,' he said, "'and he doesn't get em. Captain Meaghan replied curtly, "'He breaks their backs.' Gallagher rubbed his chin. "'They're not so bad, taking them singly,' he considered. "'But there's too many of them. And those two guineas were a double dose too much.' 
he referred to two italians one of whom was called dan jordan by the men because his name was giovanni giordano and he was good-natured and the other was maliciously miscalled spaghetti because his name was unpronounceable and he turned black when he got this substitute they'll be sendin me chinese next captain meaghan growled unmollified they will the lieutenant said as soon as the chinks begin to vote captain meaghan chose to resent that shot at the powers that ruled the department well he blustered i wish you'd get into a worker so's if you're the stuff that makes firemen i'd know it and if you ain't the chief'd know it and cut it out and he had his wish the alarm of the torrents fire was rung in just before daybreak on a warm midsummer morning while the men still lay sleeping in their bunk-room under the glow-worm glimmer of a lowered gas-jet they leaped from their cots with the simultaneous suddenness of the start in an obstacle race at the crack of the pistol tugged on their turnouts of rubber boots and trousers with a muttering of growls and imprecations vaulted beds while still hooking their waistband catches threw themselves at the brass sliding poles in the corners and shot down into the glare and noise and seeming disorder of the ground floor where the horses were already tossing their great heads in their harness and the driver was already bending forward in his seat and the doors stood open on the darkness of the night captain meaghan sprang into the light rig in which the absent battalion chief rode to fires and swung out into the street with a sudden clatter of hoofs on the stone sidewalk and the burst and echo of a jangling gong in the dead quiet out of doors the truck followed fifteen seconds after the jigger had started the alarm with little spaghetti climbing in over the tail of the bed-ladders behind long tom donnelly who had the tiller of the hind wheels that was a good start but it was only the start the driver was a new man who was not new to driving but who was new to driving a hook-and-ladder truck he had been a coachman and he knew all about horses but for the seat of a five-ton truck a man needs the nerve of a chauffeur and the shoulders of a roman chariot racer and he does not need to know a bridle from a belly-band the new man had the nerve but he lacked the shoulders and before they had rounded their second corner donnelly on the tiller was braced and ready for the turn at a gallop that might be a run on the rocks for him it came within sight of the fire the horses were already beyond control when the piping wail of a steamer sounded in their ears from a side street the driver tugged and shouted three white horses with a shining engine leaped out of the darkness ahead of them and donnelly with a great oath wrenched the wheel of his tiller around to send the rear of the hook-and-ladder truck swinging for a lamp-post on the curb the crash broke the rear running gear and brought down the truck on the cobblestones hamstrung the engine flashed past them dropping fire the collision had been averted but little spaghetti had been thrown out on the stone pavement and lay curled up on a sidewalk grating with a broken body donnelly crawled out from the ladders his right arm hanging limp the other men were unhurt they had braced themselves against the shock by clinging to the side ladders and moreover they had not received the terrific momentum of the full swing 
they were on their feet about the fallen nigh horse when lieutenant gallagher called out to them to follow him on foot with such scaling ladders hooks and axes as they could carry and they stormed the truck for tools donnelly and dan jordan lifted spaghetti between them and carried him to a bed of lifelines covered with a coat the crew disappeared around the corner running heavily in their rubber boots be off now donnelly ordered the italian and dan jordan followed the others reluctantly looking back at his unconscious countryman as he turned into the side street now the first truck company to arrive at a fire makes an entrance at doors and windows and incidentally saves whatever lives are in danger the second forces its way through an adjoining building to open smoke vents in the roof the third is scattered wherever its assistance is most needed to help the engine crews in stretching in new lines of hose to tear down burning woodwork to carry ladders and wield forcible entrance tools in the secondary movements which are made against a fire after its position has been developed the accident which wrecked gallagher's truck brought up company number zero the third crew to arrive where it should have been the first and that was how the probationers came to be separated from their elders to face their trial in a body and alone captain meaghan was already raging at the disgrace which their delay brought to him and the danger which it brought to the first unsupported engine companies that had gone in against the fire when he saw his men straggling in afoot disordered winded and trailing their few tools he threw his helmet at his feet and kicked it cursing into the gutter the new men gathered behind gallagher and the front line of the company's old guard and waited like schoolboys for disciplining with muttered asides to one another which they spoke with their eyes on their feet pipemen shouldered through them dragging hose a water tower almost ran them down shout answered shout around them and when they looked up for their orders captain meaghan stood bareheaded and raving before them shaking an impotent fist at gallagher and roaring unreportable abuse gallagher picked up his helmet for him from the gutter the captain took it roughly and shambled off with it in his hand to report to the chief the lieutenant was known as the mildest-mannered man that ever rolled to a fire much more like this he said and the old man'll blow up and bust sergeant pym who was biting a cud of tobacco from a companion's plug rolled the morsel bulging in his lean cheek he had no consolation to offer so he gave the remainder of Parr's tobacco, and Gallagher accepted it with a mute nod of thanks. The occasion was plainly past words. The Torrance building before them was nine stories in height, a structure of granite pillars and red brick, used as a wholesale house by a chemical company on the ground floor, and as an office building in the upper stories. The fire was in the lower part of it, already the dead lights in the sidewalk had been broken in with axes and mauls and a cellar pipe was spouting its stream through the opening into the basement long lines of hose stretched from doors and hung from windows where the smoke puffed from gaping sashes and men in helmets and rubber coats appeared for a moment to shout reports into the disorder below them and vanish again in the darkness the roof of the seven-story building adjoining was alive with men who were raising ladders to the burning structure. 
It did not seem to Gallagher and his company that there would be much for number zero to do. They waited, the inglorious reserve in a battle which they should have led, in the smoking turmoil of pulsing engines, the cry of orders, and the hurry of men. They were roused from their inaction by Captain Meaghan, who charged down on them like a dog on chickens, and sent them scurrying in all directions, chased Lieutenant Gallagher, Sergeant Pym, and two probationers, Morphy and Fuchs, to the ladders with a shout to open smoke vents throughout the upper stories, ordered three of the old men into the basement, with a whack of his helmet on their shoulders, and a yell at their heels, to aid the pipemen who were flooding the cellar thrust aside two others who carried axes, shouting at them, "'You come after me!' sent Parr, Dan Jordan, and a probationer named Doyle up the ladders after Gallagher's squad, and then crushed his mudded helmet down on his head and raced with the axemen for the ground floor, where a line of hose trailed from the black smoke of the doorway. That disposition of his men put the veterans of the company where they were most needed, in the cellar and on the first floor, to fight the fire at the fierce root of it, and it sent all the probationers aloft, in charge of Lieutenant Gallagher, to the less important and less dangerous duty of opening smoke vents. It is with these red inkers, only, that we are concerned. How the men in the cellar were driven back by the poisonous fume of burning chemicals, fighting in a water that was knee-deep, and in a smoke that stuck like sulphur in the lungs. How the flames got behind Captain Meaghan and the two men with him, and cut off their retreat from the burning ground floor. How they were rescued by their comrades, and taken unconscious to the hospital in the waiting ambulances. All this may not be told here. These were merely the trials of a valour that had been proved many times in fires not less difficult and dangerous. With the probationers it was a different story. While the battle below them was being fought and lost, they carried out their captain's orders to aid and relieve the engine companies manning the streams in the upper stories. They worked their way from the front to the rear of the building, and threw open the steel shutters of the black windows to let in the air and to let out the smoke. They found the pipemen fighting the vanguard of the fire that was coming up the elevator shaft. The blaze here was not dangerously large, the heat was not excessive. The only menace was the smoke, and Gallagher, with good judgment, cried on his little squad against it. Being without scaling ladders, they used the stairs, and worked with axe and hook-butt from the third story to the sixth, crashing down doors and beating out window-sashes, until they had a clean chimney-flue for the smoke that had been stifling the pipemen on the floors below. They were on the sixth story, ignorant of what had been happening on the ground floor, when an explosion of back-draft below alarmed them. Gallagher had supposed that the fire was well under control by this time. He had not known of the poisonous fume in the smoke, and the magnitude of the explosion indicated a great accumulation of gas, and therefore a fiercer flame and a greater area of heat than he had imagined. He ran to a window, and hung out of it to see the men sliding down the ladders from the second story. A huge flame spat out from the ground floor, and he knew from the retreat and counter-rush, the scurry and confusion of the crews in the street, that the fire was carrying all below him, and that his escape would be cut off. He bawled down to warn them of his danger, and then ordered his squad to follow him by the stairs. 
they groped their way back through the dark passages only to come on the deadly smoke which was pouring up stairs and elevator shaft in advance of an unchecked fire a puff of it struck them like a hand at the throat and they dropped to the floor to catch the low draught of cleaner air which is always to be found there it was impossible to go forward gallegher led them back at a blundering run to the window one look below convinced him that they were trapped it was not possible for the men in the street to put up ladders to them they themselves because of the accident to their truck were without scaling ladders or other means of escape we're up a tree gallegher said soberly the new men panting from exertion and excitement and coughing from the irritation of the smoke in their throats grew suddenly quiet staring blankly at the lieutenant and at one another they looked out at the street five stories below them obscured in a belch of smoke they heard the flames behind them singing in a fierce undertone in the elevator shaft and when the italian dan jordan began to jabber an appeal to all the saints to save him which the men mistook for a dago profanity they relieved their feelings in oaths of bewilderment and disgust sergeant pym had been too busy to remember the quid in his cheek now he chewed thoughtfully if we could crawl back and go higher he suggested there ought to be a crew on the roof there's something in that smoke gallegher said cellar and first floors full of drugs chemical company they're trying to get out the men down there they're too blame busy to do anything for us fuchs the probationer who had been a bridge worker got out on the window ledge and craned his neck too far to jump lieutenant gallegher warned him sure he said but here's a three-inch ledge that ought to run to the next building a few feet below the window-sill there was a projecting strip of ornamental stone facing that crossed the torrance building with a stripe of grey on the red brick front pym looked down at it think we're giddy sparrows he complained dan jordan peeped out and fell back from the window waving an unintelligible protest fuchs drew off his rubber boots if you'll put a hand tween my shoulders he said to gallegher i'll see how far it goes the lieutenant answered yes wait a second knock that sash in parr parr made a sashless gap of the window frame with two blows of his axe fuchs swung over the sill with gallegher's hand in his collar and found the stone ledge with his toes all right he said brace yourself to hold me to the wall and let me get as far as you can gallegher straddled the sill with parr sitting on the leg that anchored him to the room and gave fuchs an arm's length with a great palm spread between the probationer's shoulders fuchs edged forward his ear scraping the bricks until he could be certain that the ledge led to the windows of the next building all right he said evenly it's a long stretch but i guess we can do it and came back inch by inch this ledge joins a sort of cornice gallegher turned to the others you do by each other what i do with fuchs he said morphy'll follow me and then jordan and then doyle and pym parr you'll have to anchor us here till fuchs reaches the other window get your boots off men you'll have to get a grip with your toes i got holes in my stockings pym said coyly the men laughed all but dan jordan the accident to his chum spaghetti 
had first broken his nerve the blind groping in the darkness and the smoke through an endless succession of bewildering passageways and offices with a fire that seemed to him to be stalking them into the dangerous upper regions of the burning building had added a child's fear to this weakness the attempt to escape through the choking smoke and the sudden realization of all his worst fears when that attempt had failed had put him in a panic terror and now when he saw gallagher's preparations to climb out on a ledge that no man could cling to he lost his last control of himself ran to the other window of the room and screamed wildly out of it help -a! help -a! his voice cut through the uproar in the street with the shrill sharpness of a steam whistle he began to yell a frightened gibberish in a voice of crazy fear parr's hand closed suddenly on his throat choked him from behind and threw him back from the window to fall in a hysterical grovel on the floor there's a blamed fine mess parr said to gallagher the lieutenant was thinking of the effect of it on the new men he prodded jordan with his toe get up he said sternly the italian covered his head with his hands and wailed in his jargon gallagher kicked him in the side get up he ordered get up out of that jordan rolled away from him in a paroxysm of terror the lieutenant bent down caught his hand in the probationer's collar and raising him to his knees shook and strangled him till he gasped for breath get up he said easing his hold on him the italian sprang to his feet broke from the lieutenant and ran toward the window screaming parr grappled with him he fought like a madman with wild blows that fell on parr's face and blinded him so that he loosed his hold to defend himself and the italian slipping through his arms jumped to the sill of the window he crouched there a moment huddled up with fear and then whether it was that he lost his balance or that he had been really driven out of his mind by this fire fright just as parr caught at his legs he uttered a last frantic cry and dived headlong into the street they saw him fall spread like a bat gallagher with a roar of get back there drove the probationers from the windows before they saw the rest he faced them morphy's lips were trembling doyle was laughing weakly parr wiped his forehead with a grimy hand the lieutenant said in a low voice that's what happens when a man loses his head the noises from the street grew in their silence until fuchs on the ledge outside the window said reflectively that's like mullen did in the old cantilever and gallagher knew from his manner that he could depend on one of his probationers at least he tried to encourage the others and there was no need for it he said there's no danger about getting out of here not a bit the same thing's been done before there was rush did it for the matter of that at the manhattan bank fire get your wind now there's no hurry no what's the use of hurrying pym said grimly jordan's beat us down already morphy shuddered he felt sick and weak he flushed hot and went cold in waves and his knees melted into tremblings he leaned against the wall doyle laughed brokenly at pym pull yourselves together now gallagher said and the probationer's laugh choked in a catch of breath that was somewhere between a gulp and a sob 
the lieutenant summed up in a glance. "'Just do what I tell you,' he instructed them, "'and don't be thinking of what might happen. Keep your eyes off that. See?' A puff of smoke warned him of approaching danger. He turned to the window and climbed out on the sill. "'We've got our hands full,' he said to Fuchs, "'and if either of those men goes dizzy, we'll all go down.' He lowered himself to a place on the narrow ledge. Fuchs then, with Gallagher's arm to support him, edged out against the wall. The lieutenant made room on the ledge for the next comer. "'Morphy!' he said. Morphy came trembling over the sill, with his teeth shut on his nervousness. "'Put your hand between my shoulders,' Gallagher ordered, ignoring the man's condition, "'and let me and Fuchs go forward as far as you can.' Morphy said, "'Yes, sir,' gratefully. The two leaders edged forward. "'Pim's next,' Gallagher said. With Pim in position, the chain stretched itself inch by inch across the wall. The noises from the street beat up at them like the sound of surf at the foot of a cliff to which they were clinging. "'A few more feet'll do it,' Fuchs reported. Gallagher knew that he could not depend on Doyle. Morphy was frightened, but his pride tried to conceal it, whereas Doyle had laughed at his own weakness and Gallagher knew enough of the psychology of fear to rate this last hysteria near the breakdown. "'Par next,' he ordered. "'Par next,' Morphy repeated huskily. "'You're next,' Pim said in the cheerful voice of a barber to his customer. "'Billy, if you loves me, hold me close.' Par spat on his hands and lowered himself to the ledge. The men moved forward, Doyle in the window, holding Par, Par supporting Pim. Pym holding Morphy to the wall with an arm of iron, Morphy crushing Gallagher's broad shoulders with a pressure that spoke of over-tense nerves, Gallagher steadying Fuchs and waiting quietly for the first signs of collapse in the man behind him. The smoke stung in their nostrils, the bricks scratched their perspiring faces, their heels stood on nothing, and the cords of their insteps ached with the strain of their weight. "'My knees are getting weak.' Morphy said hoarsely. No one answered him. Fuchs was still going forward, and Gallagher's hand slid heavily across the little bridge worker's back as they stretched their link of the chain to the breaking point. The lieutenant felt his fingers pass from the hollow of the probationer's shoulders to the ridge of his shoulder-blade, felt that drawn slowly under his palm, felt the ball of his thumb slipping over the shoulder. There was a crash of broken glass, "'Got my hold,' Fuchs reported. He passed beyond Gallagher's reach, and they could hear him beating in the glass of the window with his hatchet. He came back to put a hand behind Gallagher. The lieutenant changed the strain to his other arm. "'All right now,' he said to Morphy. "'Fuchs got me. You hold up, Pim. Tell Doyle to get out on the ledge.' "'I can't do it,' Doyle said to Parr. "'Stay there and burn, then.' Pa replied, moving away. "'Hold on!' he pleaded. He clambered out, white and weak. "'Oh, if I ever get out of this,' he said, "'it's the last the fire department'll ever see of me.' Fortunately, he was on the end of the line, and Parr held him up. The men worked their way along with a painful cautiousness. "'I feel like a blamed planked shad,' Pym said. He was answered only by the hoarse breathing of Morphy. Fuchs was already over the window-sill. Now Gallagher followed him. 
Morphy caught the sill and clung to it. "'I can't!' he panted. "'I can't lift my leg. It's paralyzed. Gallagher said cheerily, "'Come along, then, far enough, so we can get Pim.' Morphy's teeth were chattering. Pim came grinning to the sash. They dragged the probationer into the window, and he collapsed on the floor. "'I can't stand up,' he confessed shamefacedly. "'I got wobbles in the legs.' They lifted Doyle in, and stood in a ring around Morphy and him, drawing deep breaths. "'How are you, Doyle?' Gallagher asked. "'Oh, I'm out of this game,' Doyle said. "'There's easier ways of earning a livin' than this.' They did not answer him. Pym and Parr put an arm each about Morphy and raised him to his feet. "'I suppose we'll have to carry you down,' Pym said. He added at the thought of his unprotected feet, "'It'll just be my luck if this place is a tack factory.' Morphy staggered away from their support. "'I'm all right,' he said. "'It was just in my legs, and that scared me. I thought I'd bring you all down if I went.' "'Lord! How Jordan yelled!' They straggled along in silence to the stairs, and were met there by a squad of men who had been sent to the roof to lower ropes to them, and had looked down to see them, through the drift of the smoke, clinging miraculously to the flat wall at the sixth story. A triumphal procession escorted them to the street. And that was the end of the Torrance fire, so far as the Red Ink Squad was concerned. Of the five probationers who had answered the alarm, only Fuchs and Morphy stood with Company Number Zero when the basement squad lined up with Gallagher's shoeless following at a neighbouring bar to drink the health of the crew. Spaghetti was in the hospital. Doyle had taken himself off to his home without handing in any formal resignation. Dan Jordan. A ring of whispering men gathered around Lieutenant Gallagher, with their glasses in their hands, and heard of the end of him. The saloon-keeper came to listen to them across the bar. Gallagher saw him. "'To the Red Ink Squad,' he called. They put their glasses to white teeth that flashed like negroes in the blackness of their smoke-begrimed faces. "'And to the fire that made them black,' Pym added, which, as the sequel showed, was at once a pun and a prophecy. End of chapter 1